Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Break the Cycle with me, your host, Joshua Smith. I hope everyone's having a wonderful Wednesday night. We're on episode 69, so get those nices going in the chat. I know you guys are going to get them, so we might as well get them out of the way now. Uh, We have a very exciting show for you tonight. I'm very excited. Uh, I hope everyone is excited as I am, but let's start off with some sponsors. As per the usual, we have Lorenzotti.coffee for all your delicious Italian coffee needs delivered directly to your door. Bring the taste of Italy home. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. And of course, my friend, my partner on the show, the coolest guy you know, toplobster.com for all your wonderful graphic design needs where you can get this great disobey your local tyrant shirt that you see me wearing today with the uh, the crime boss Cuomo on it. Um, use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount or uh, join the Patreon subscribe star or the uh, channel membership here for YouTube to uh, get into a private Discord server that uh, you can get new uh, Top Lobster designs up to three weeks early, two weeks early at like a 30% discount. So we're talking super deep discount, really cheap shirts. If you're one of the lower tiered uh, members of the show, it actually really pays for itself if you're buying Top Lobster gear. And of course, executive producers of the show, anthemplanning.com. For all your emergency and crisis planning needs, uh, find out what these people can do for your business, home, or personal life. They're doing a wonderful job that the government has historically sucked at, uh, much cheaper and much more efficiently. Been great. Thanks for having me on. I think I, I think I messed up the uh, I think I messed up the audio, so we're gonna have to let them catch up. Uh, I I probably I think I muted my mic at, at the I muted my mic instead of uh, unmuting you because. I produced the whole show myself, man. But hey, thank you so much for coming on. I really, I really appreciate it. Uh, people are going to be dropping audio in the chat for a while, but I fixed it. It's okay. You guys are just on a lag. Um, hey, why don't you, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey? I like to start off with a journey that people took. Um, how you, you know, you came to this uh, Austrian economics entrepreneurship kind of uh, life. I mean, that's really what your life has become, right? I mean, you teach it, you, you give speeches about it. How, how did you get there? Yeah, that's actually a pretty long story. So, how much time do we have? <laughs> a uh, while. <laughs> I mean, I I started out in in politics really back in my native country, Sweden. Uh, back in throughout the '90s, I was in, involved in politics as sort of a uh, conservative free market type. Uh, and then when I was in college in mid the mid '90s, I was uh, recommended uh, by my university to do at least a couple of semesters uh, abroad. And being a good student, I I applied for universities in in California, Hawaii, and Australia because I wanted to go to the beach. Good thing you didn't um, end up in Australia, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, well, right. Had it been now, then then I would have, uh, well, I would have still been there. <laughs> but I ended up in in Honolulu, and I got a couple of courses with a professor there, Ken Schooland, who who uh, really pushed me on the free market stuff uh, and pushed me over the edge. And after that, I mean, I I learned more about my principles and applying the the non-aggression principle, and I was sort of desperate to figure out how to get rid of the state because I understood that uh, well, the state has to go. I mean, if if you believe in non-aggression, you can't have a state. But how the heck would it work? And I think a lot of people get stuck there. Um, and I remember that I, I found the solution and uh, a solution on the way uh, through uh, David Friedman's. The Machinery of Freedom, and that was the fall of '98, and I remember that because I was, uh, I became an anarchist, and I was elected for office at the very same time, which is sort of a little odd. <laughs> um, but after that, I mean, I was working as a, a systems developer in in Sweden, uh, and I was writing like crazy. I think that one of one of those years in the early 2000s, I published something like 200 essays on different libertarian websites. So. Uh, that's that's a little too many, I think. I mean, looking bad at it, back at it, but uh, that, there was a lot, right? Um, and then uh, my wife pretty much told me that, hey, you're miserable in your work, so why don't you just quit and go into academia instead? Because that's what you do. You just read and write anyway. So do that stuff instead. And well, I, I did what she told me to pretty much. And I applied for different PhD programs and I didn't get into any in Sweden. And I, through the Mises Institute, I sent, sent my CV to the Mises Institute. And the day after I get a, get an email from Peter Klein at the University of Missouri saying, Hey, how about Missouri? So that's how I ended up in agricultural economics. Cause that's where he was. And he was interested in the theory of the firm, 
uh, in transaction costs and entrepreneurship. And there was a small group of professors there doing entrepreneurship stuff. So I ended up doing that too uh, and got really interested in that sort of thing while I was studying Austrian economics on the side and doing lots of events and then things, uh, participating in those with Mises Institute. And then I happened to get a job as an adjunct teaching entrepreneurship and then a research job in entrepreneurship. And well, here I am now as a professor of entrepreneurship. So as I told you, it was it's not at all a straight line and sort of a long story. Sure, absolutely. I mean, you've done a lot. And that's a, that's a lot of papers to write, Pear. I yeah, I know. I, I even, I mean, I tried to collect them all on my website at some point, but I, I just stopped because I couldn't keep track of my own papers pretty much. That's, that's wild, man. Absolutely wild. We got a, we got a super chat from Almighty Beej already, $20 super chat. Thanks, sir. He said, could you please expand on your thoughts of agorism and how it's not an economic analysis, but a, a political analysis? That's a good, that's a pretty good question. We got a lot of agorists okay. that watch the show. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so how is, well, I mean, in the sense it's, it, it applies economic theory. So so it, it is really focused on entrepreneurship and how entrepreneurship creates things and how free exchange uh, is beneficial for both parties. Of course, unless there is a third party that robs them right? or, 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 or forces them to go ahead with the exchange. So it's, it's not an economic theory. An economic theory would explain uh, how the economy works or how the market functions, things like that. Uh, Agorism would be a, a theory for, or a strategy more, of how to use the economy the way we understand it uh, as free market economists and use it to cause change. Basically, we, we do what we preach. Sure. That's, that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my friend David Hines asked, uh, what did the Austrians have to say about the entrepreneur before and are there new insights into the role entrepreneurs play uh, played is it was play play in the economy that's some, that's something that should be right up right up your alley right <laughs> yeah absolutely and i think austrians i mean austrians have always prided themselves with having a theory of the entrepreneur and placing the entrepreneur at the center and mises is quoted as saying the entrepreneur is the driving force of the market economy and and things like that and it was already in 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 menger the the founder of the austrian school back in 1871 he had a, a page talking about the entrepreneur and what entrepreneurs do and and that sort of thing so it's always been there, but I mean, it, it hasn't really been fleshed out. So the details are not really there. The connection to economic growth is not really there. I mean, until recently, there was not really a theory of the firm. What the heck does the firm do? And what is it, economically speaking? We didn't quite have a grasp of that either. Um, and Kersner came along in 1973 and wrote a book on entrepreneurship where he he took sort of a, a thin slice of Mises' stuff and, and um, elaborated on that part but that, that's sort of a, a part that Mises in Human Action also says is not very important. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a, an, an easy uh, type of entrepreneurship that, that you can theorize easily about, but it's, it, it doesn't explain a whole lot about the real world. Um, and, and Austrians have sort of after that continued to develop Kersner's theory and continue to figure out what entrepreneurs do in the marketplace. And, and I've done that myself. Uh, and I've connected it with with economic growth through the firm and and value creation and that sort of thing. Sort of less uh, macro and and business cycle theory and things like that, and, and and more what the heck do they do? Like how do you create value in in the economy? Sure. Yeah. And so uh, I am. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not very smart, pair, right? Um, I I do I do a show. I have a lot of smart people on. This is how this is how we build the show with smart people, but. Um, for, for some of my fans that might not understand, I'm sure most do, but I mean, how do you, how do you go about explaining, you know, Austrian economics to, to like the layman person? I mean, how do you, how do you do it without throwing human action at him and being like, read this, <laughs> you know, the book's this thick. So, uh, I just wonder how do you would do it? Yeah. And, and that is a problem because we don't really have any, at least I don't think we have any very good introductions, uh, and, and explaining everything in, about Austin economics, how it's different. In a sense, it's sort of the continuation of old style economics from the 19th century. In another sense, it's sort of radical view and it has its own methodology and all this stuff. I mean, I'm working on on a primer on Austrian economics. Um, that is, we are expecting it to be published. Well, I guess the, 
Mississippi Institute is expecting it to be published anyway in, in December. Um, and the point of that is is to to do exactly what you said. How, how do you how do you explain Austrian economics to a, a newbie, pretty much, or someone who's not completely an idiot, but someone someone who also doesn't know economics and 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 just wonders what is Austrian economics and, and what is economics about that sort of thing. So it gives you basic economic literacy, and that's what I'm trying to do in that book. Go through um, in, in a very short format. Go through what what economics does. Sure, and that's is that your fourth fourth book that was gonna be my third book third book okay awesome and how how far along are you on there uh well never ask an author how far along (laughs) he is in a book it's it's pretty much like asking a a a phd or master's students how's the thesis going (laughs) they're not gonna like that but I'm 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 working on it, and I, I the ideas are are sort of clear in my mind, and I have the structure done and all this stuff, and I just need to. I'm struggling with finding the right tone because it's it. it I I need to channel my inner Henry Hazlitt in a sense. Sure. It, it needs it needs to be really simple to the point, yet still informative. Yeah, I don't I don't know that there's a a more um, digestible economics book than the uh, economics and one less i don't know do you know if there's a more digestible book than that one for people i don't think there is and, and that's sort of why i'm aiming for that type of format but we want it to be much shorter so I'm, i try to cover not only in i mean his his book is really one lesson yeah it is that there's a trade-off and there's opportunity cost that's pretty much the whole book and what i'm trying to do is cover all of austrian economics uh, to the extent possible in half the length so that's why I'm struggling a little with with the tone because I I can't really go into details and I can't really explain specifics. So I have to rush through it a little bit, but but still make it make it intuitive to the reader. Sure. Yeah. It's 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 a it's a very in depth uh, economic uh, ec- economic ideology. I mean, really, it's it's pretty it's pretty wild to to think about how. How extensively some people like Murray Rothbard and Hoppe and 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 Mises and all these people have written about it, and then think about how to how to explain that to people. You know, my mo- my mother, for example, she's she's she would consider herself like a, a libertarian kind of, but it's like how do I explain all of this stuff to her? You know, from from human action in like ten minutes, digestible. So that's that's really cool that you're doing that. I, I'm sure that tons tons of people will uh, will appreciate that, but. So what do you think is more important for uh, Austrian economics uh, economists today, um, for further develop, developing the field or trying to find new ways to appeal to lay people? I mean, is, is, you know, it's been so, it's been so developed. I mean, is there still like a penchant for that at all? Yeah, there, there's plenty to do still, I think. Um, and I, I think we sort of need both. And we need both sort of evangelists that are spreading the word and taking it out there, and we need people who have developed the theory too. And there, there are some really good projects in, in getting the theory and getting the this type of really deep understanding for how the market economy works out there. And, and from my perspective, the, the obvious way to do that is to talk to entrepreneurs and, and business owners. And, and why? Well, simply because they are Austrians. And I, I, I say this. Uh, quite often, the, that an, an experienced entrepreneur or business owner, they are Austrians already. It's just that they don't know it and they don't have the terminology and that sort of thing. But they've seen how the market works and they've seen how what what to- sort of strategies work and what sort of strategies do not work and why. So so they sort of have this tacit knowledge of of, of or understanding of the market economy, and and that's what Austrians have too. Austrians don't really go into predictions and and math and that sort of thing, but but we have the understanding, and and we can we we know what is going on, and and talking to business leaders, businessmen, entrepreneurs, and so forth, uh, giving them the tools in a sense to avoid mistakes is is a very powerful way to to spread the message. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um somebody wants to know how do you think that um uh, the development of of artificial intelligence uh fits into austrian theory do, do, can robots replace workers or even entrepreneurs could we have a robot jeff bezos is that i mean where does that fall in into the austrian theory are you saying jeff bezos is not a robot <laughs> i thought he was a lizard i don't know he could you know he could <laughs> okay. be a robot too <laughs> yeah I, I think it fits perfectly really in the theory that AI is, is like any other software in a sense. I mean, you can use it productively and use it in production. 
And of course, AI can potentially develop machines and so forth and, and relieve us of work. I mean, some would call it to make us unemployed, but I don't think that is actually going to happen to a, a huge extent. In, instead, what they're going to do is, is just what machines have done so far. It has saved us from, from dangerous work, has it saved us from hard uh, manual labor, and instead provided us with, with well, shorter uh, work days, uh, better pay, and also we can we can rely much, to much greater extent on on what are, what are true qualities, and it's right up here. It's it's our ingenuity as, as human beings and our our ability to imagine things and imagine solutions. And I don't think a, a, an artificial intelligence can do that. What it can do is calculate stuff really quickly. So if we feed an, uh, an artificial intelligence with with um, say physics and biology and and whatever uh, knowledge we have. Have, have accumulated, they can produce machines and they can figure out how to produce uh, faster computers or whatever. But those are not going to replace us because the whole economy is about satisfying people on people's own terms. And an AI can't figure, figure that out unless that AI becomes human, but then it's not really an AI anymore. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, shout out to Level Zero for the $5 Super Chat. He said, Pear is one of the best follows on Twitter. He loves your snark. Uh, uh, and and that's not that's that's not the the Nick Nicholas Sarwark snark. This is like the good kind of snark we're talking about here. Uh, Almighty Beach gave a five dollar sh- shout out. Thank you. He said, "Where do you fall on the free versus freed market debate of not using the dirty word of capitalism?" Uh, I fall on the don't use it in that camp, uh, and it's pretty easy because it seems that everybody has their own version of the the term. Uh, and there's always this talking to leftists. It's always the case that they they will say something about capitalism, and then then we or our side or whatever uh, will push back that that's not what capitalism is. And then it, it's all about the word, and and we we don't understand what they're saying, and they don't understand what we're saying, and they ju- they just assume that oh in in a crony that with a, a state a free market needs private property, and private property is impossible without a state. That's their assumption. So that's how they get to cronyism directly from private property, because the state is already there, and 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 we can't really talk to them on on those terms because first of all that's not true, right? You can't have private property without the state, and if you can, then we can talk to them about the free market, how the free market actually functions, and that it is what what they talked about in the 1800s, that it is more more or less like an economic organism. It's not really a system, and it's definitely not the sort of the economics gang sign, you know, the supply and demand like this. Right. Um, so, it's. I think we need to lose the term, and it wasn't ours to begin with. So uh, there are other terms that the left stole from us, like liberal, um, but but capitalism wasn't our terms to begin with, and and it's it's its purpose and the intent is really to uh, to point to capital. In the Marxian sense, that it's capital versus workers, and if that is a starting point, I mean, how can we even debate with them? Because if that is the assumption that we have already lost, so it's better to talk about free markets in, in sort of the the individualist anarchist sense with Benjamin Tucker and Lysander Spooner and those guys, and they were talking about they were they they call themselves socialists, but free market socialists, and why? Because they understood how the economy works, and that's where we need to get the leftists. Yeah, they're they're kind of like a, a market anarchist today, or whatever you want to call it. Correct. I, and it, this is a this is a really good conversation. I actually really like this because, um, you know, I traveled around the country for four years and and tried to get people to see libertarianism as the way. I, I actually sit on the Libertarian National Committee, um, which is funny. You're bringing up Ken Skolin, who's part of the Libertarian Party in Hawaii and stuff like that too. That's pretty cool. But um, something that I talked with Larry Sharp about a lot was how terms can shut down a conversation immediately. And like free market, saying free market to a leftist is is a death nail for for a conversation. Um, and so he started talking about you know calling it consumer driven. You know, say consumer driven market. It's a it's a better way to frame that. It doesn't shut down the conversation. Leftists will keep going. And I, I started coming around to, to like who gives a shit about the terms 
when we could start, you know, creating understanding of our, our stuff. And it doesn't matter what terms we're using at all. You know, I, I can't tell somebody anarcho-capitalism anymore. It shuts down every debate with all kinds of people, not just not just anarcho-capitalists and, and or, uh, anarcho-socialists or whatever you want to call them, but everybody. I mean, everybody. You're like, I'm an anarcho-capitalist. They're like, okay, cool. See you. Have a nice day. You know, enjoy your fedora. And it's like, man, but some of the greatest thinkers I've ever, you know, read are anarcho-capitalists or self-described anarcho-capitalists. But I mean, is there any other terms that you think are that that we use as as uh, as libertarians that maybe we should start thinking about changing? Well, I mean, you mentioned a few already. Uh, in a sense, all the core terms. I mean, how we express ourselves is it's very important to not maybe not just signal or be in be in people's faces. Uh, and and free market is a. I I like that term a lot. I I if I would talk to a leftist, I would say free market instead because that that would mean that they would see, wait a minute, what, what do you mean by that? Right. So they would open for a conversation because if you watch the news or whatever, they're going to talk about the free market. But the free market is basically what Mitch McConnell is for. Now, that's not the, what I mean when I say free market. So if that is the assumption uh, that the, peop- the person has that who I'm, whom I'm talking to, then it's going to be really, really hard to first talk to, to first describe to them that no, no, I don't mean that what what you mean when you use the same term. And this that's a, a side issue. That's a, a discussion we don't we don't have time to have. I mean we should focus on the concepts, we should focus on on what works, we should fo- focus on how the economy works. Sure. Yeah. In, in a sense we should probably call it this call it society instead. I mean I, I think Mises wanted to call human action sociology or something like that uh, first or praxeology sociology. And why? Well, because it is social. It, it is. It, it, to, to Mises and to, to many of us Austrians, uh, the economy and society, you can't really separate the two. And society arises out of the division of labor and specialization and working together by specializing and trading. So that is the, the, the sort of social connection in, in the economy. And if, if you realize that, then, then you can't separate society and economy as most people do. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a theory of, of, of human action and, and humans interact with each other all the time in all kinds of yeah, different exactly. ways. And sometimes yeah. it's with money, sometimes it's with goods and sometimes it's not. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Top Lobster, thanks for the $5 super, uh, super chat. He says, Pierre's correct. The firm, the former face of Papa John was just on Tim Pool talking economics that reminded me of Bob Murphy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't I don't get it. Uh, Bubblegum Gun, $2 super chat. He said, market socialism is just a commie admitting defeat. Is it, you think that's true? Yeah, I think that is true. I mean, that's, that would be the short answer. I think so. Because yeah. a market socialism, if you go back to to the the people who used it first back in the 30s, I mean, what they what they said was that well, we recognize how the market works and the and and the market works through prices and trade and all this stuff, but the government should still own everything, and they made up all these schemes for how you could have uh, the qualities from the market yet still have the beautiful government owning everything, which is, in, in a sense, taking a big step back from Marx. So, so it is a defeat in a sense. Sure. So, so something that I'm really interested in, and I, you know, this is, it's like a conversation I've had repeatedly over and over and over again. You know, whenever I talk about you know, economics with either normal people or social Democrats or whatever they want to call themselves these days, they always point to the Nordic countries, right? I mean, or the Nordic model of of uh of democratic socialism and you're you being from sweden i mean that's you know I, I, I mean how do how do we really combat that when they start talking about you know th- those places and their economies and how everybody's so happy and you know this and that and then but for me it's like i look up the i look up like the, the anti-depression medication use it's like double you know what i mean per capita and so it, it kind of does make me wonder but how do we how do we combat that when we're talking to you know the normal everyday american <laughs> Well, one thing would be to simply tell them the truth about Sweden and what is going on. I mean, Sweden, yeah, it had a, a huge welfare state, especially when I grew up. It was huge and everybody thought it was awesome. But I mean, in a sense, the this Swedish welfare state, it adopted really radical socialist principles in about 1970. And in 1992, it imploded completely. And after that, the state has sort of retreated. Uh, and they've cut down on social welfare st- spending and, and policies like that. And uh, so it, today it's very different. Of course, now Sweden is doing better. So now the socialists are pushing for more welfare so welfare systems again. 
Uh, so it's always it's going back and forth. But Sweden is it's really if you look at uh, economic freedom indexes and, and things like that, Sweden is very high on those. And it's not because they have a welfare system. It's because taxes on businesses are pretty low. Businesses are not that regulated, comparatively speaking. Uh, Sweden has really, really high taxes, but it's almost exclusively on labor. It's not on business. So there's a lot of, of I mean, Sweden's success is really a free market story. If you go back in time from, from 1870 through 1970, it was about deregulating uh, stripping the king of, of powers uh, and, and free market policies. And, and, and that's what caused Sweden to go from Europe's poorest to the world's fourth richest in the hundred years. Wow, I, I didn't even realize they were the fourth richest. That's pretty wild. Uh, and, and they did that all in a hundred years. Yeah, but that was in 1970. I mean, then, then, then you just feed the welfare state and let it balloon and, and then, well... Then it takes 22 years to implode. Sure. It's just a constant cycle. I mean, we see it happen pretty much everywhere, right? Uh, but what do they say? The the bad times make hard men. Hard men create good times. And it's just it's a circle, right? Constant circle. And um, but, Right, yeah. So I, somebody brought it up on, on my Twitter the other day about your talk at Mises, at, at Mises U. Uh, recently and talking about separating libertarianism from was it from anarcho-capitalism is that what you were talking about or austrian austrian economics uh splitting it from from mm -hmm. the term libertarian can you expand on that more and, and tell us why you think that sure that was that was really a, an i answered a question from from one of the students in the audience <clears throat> and the point is really that austrian economics is a positive theory it's a it's a in a sense a science or scholarship trying to understand how the economy works. And yes, it has a theory for the free market, but that's necessary in order to identify what regulations do to the economy. You can't really compare and, and say, oh, this regulation has this effect, unless you also know what it would be like without that effect. So you, you have to start with, with free market economy, and then you introduce the state and you introduce all these things theoretically. So there's really no, nothing ideological or normative in Austrian economics. Austrian economics just describes it the way it is and provides it with understanding for how the economy works. That's it. But, of course, if you have a very good understanding for how the economy works and how the market works, there's basically no way that you can be a socialist. Because you, you realize that the power of, of the wealth creation in, in the marketplace and you realize that, wait a minute, all, all these voluntary transactions are definitely not, um, they're just. But they're not unjust. So you have to have a very wicked, weird uh, morality to take the step from knowing Austrian economics and, and knowing that it is true and, and saying that, oh, well, we need someone to meddle with this beautiful system. And libertarianism, of course, is, is about values. It's, it's about having a, a goal for society and for yourself. Uh, it's not really about science. So, so it's different in that sense. They often go together simply as the free market and libertarianism, they go together. And Austrian economics is, is the best explanation for how the free market works. Hi kids, do you like violence? Yeah. Are you sick to death of pussyfooting around the truth while being constantly fed lies by news and big tech tyrants? If so, then come join me, Dan Smots, on The System Is Down, where we get weird, have fun, and dig into all the dangerous taboo topics like conspiracies, politics, religion, culture, current events, and everything your family just prays you don't bring up around the Thanksgiving dinner table. And I know that reality is scary to some people, so if you're easily offended, just ignore this and go back to making cat memes or whatever. But if you're ready to change the world for the better, come join me on The System Is Down at tsidpod.com or wherever you get podcasts. That's tsidpod.com. Com because the system is down and truth is taking over. Sure, absolutely. Uh, Almighty Beach gave a two dollars super chat. He asked, "Do you like Eskimo Joe's?" I don't. I don't know what that is. Do you know what that is? Yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> yeah. I do. It's like a a, a restaurant to, on the other side of of the street from campus at Oklahoma State. Uh, it's one of those student places. I think it's fine. I guess it's a. Uh, it's not fancy food. It's not great food. It's it's a it's a good student hangout. It's all it's all right to hang out. It's a cool place to chill. Uh, Drywall Osh sent a five dollars super chat. He said, "Are we the owner of land or our bodies if we pay to use?" I don't know. Is that that doesn't? 
I think you got to clarify that a little bit more, Drywall. I appreciate you, man. Uh, let's talk a little bit about entrepreneurship. So obviously this is your bread and butter, you know, on top of Austrian economics, but why entrepreneurship? Why, why should people become entrepreneurs? Oh, that's easy. I'm, and, and very hard. So, <laughs> so, so it, it, it's easy because that's, that's a, a way of creating things as a way of being who you are. It's a way of, of working the way you want to work and be your own boss and all, all this stuff. It's also easy because it is a way of creating our tomorrow because that's that's how I usually describe what entrepreneurs do. They they create new things and they they hope that consumers in the future will like those things. So to be innovative is really to create our tomorrows. You're changing the world. You're changing uh, people's realities and people's everyday lives by by creating new goods and services. So I mean, and those are I mean very uh, positive aspects of, of of being an entrepreneur. And of course, you can have many different reasons for for doing this. And if, if you if you don't want to bear the uncertainty, if you don't want to take the risk, then you should probably uh, get a job somewhere else. And and basically, what you're doing is it's sort of free riding on the entrepreneur that started the whole thing, and and you get a salary and all this stuff. But I think it's infor- important that we realize that that entrepreneurs are really what is they are the the force that is pushing uh, the market forward. They're creating what's going to be tomorrow and. And we see all these huge corporations and think that they're so powerful and the left would keep reminding us that, that they're so big and they have so much money that they have so much power. There's no one who could ever uh, deal with these huge corporations. But all it takes is really one guy with, with a new type of product. And then everybody just will just change their behavior and they will just abandon the big corporation because they're not interested anymore in that in that product. So. They only have power as long as consumers give it to them. And entrepreneurs are in the business of, of recreating and, and renewing our world. And I, th- I think all the solutions to basically all of our problems economically and politically, they're, they're in entrepreneurship. Nice. And that, and I mean, that's just through innovation, you think? Is that, that's the answer to a lot of our problems? Yeah, it is in, in, a, in a technical sense, um, by which I mean that there's a difference between invention and innovation. So invention would be the idea for some new gadget or some new technology. Innovation is bringing it to market and making it valuable to consumers. So you can have innovation by providing a product that already exists and is provided by a a number of companies already, but you do it in a different way that is much more appealing to consumers, and then they will pick you. And this new way of offering it to them is, is the innovation. Right, so you, it can be a different way of paying for stuff, like going from CDs to listening to streamed music. That's not really a technology thing. It's it changed our behavior because now we don't buy CDs and then we have our CDs and we play only those. Instead, um, we we listen to things whenever we feel like it, and we pay a subscription fee every month. That's a very different way of thinking about it. That's a very different way of discovering music too. So our behavior changed completely, even though the music is it's the same music. Sure, absolutely. Uh, somebody asked a question, what is, what is malinvestment and why is, isn't it an important concept? Is that, is that something you're familiar with? I don't know much, I'm gonna be honest with you. <laughs> I don't know much about entrepreneurship. I've always had a boss, uh, except for, uh, very brief amount of time when I was, you know, put out some Craigslist ads and did a bunch of side work. I've worked in trade work my whole life. So um, entrepreneurship is something that's always intrigued me, something I've always wanted to be a part of, something I'm kind of doing with the show. Uh, but I just going to say you're doing it right now. So yeah. I mean, what are you talking about? Yeah, but I, I don't know much about, you know, the the driving force behind it and all that stuff. So when I hear malinvestment, I just it just sounds like a bad investment to me. I don't know. In a, in a sense, it is. But but what it refers to is the Austrian business cycle theory. So why do we have these booms that turn into busts in the in the economy overall? And the male investment is is really that we have investments where consumers did not actually ask for them. So we have overinvestment in some sectors and we have underinvestment in some sectors. So the whole in a sense, the whole whole economic structure is out of whack, which is usually because. Uh, because the banking system or the central bank, they have created a lot of credit. And that ends up somewhere, and that increases the purchasing power in some some industry at the expense of other industries. And then the whole economy starts to produce things that are not really in line with what consumers want. Sure. Uh, so so you, you, I mean, you 
teach people entrepreneurship. That's what you, that's what you do in Oklahoma. And I mean, what what do you guys cover when you're talking about like you know the importance of entrepreneurship? I mean, what kind of stuff do you guys go over? Is it's not it's not like economics class, right? No, it's not. And that's really a shame because we should we should really teach them more about how the economy works. And I do that in my courses and I've, I've developed a few that are well, special courses, I, I guess you could call it. The standard course would be just to put together a business plan and then then force the students to think through all the steps and, 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 and expose their ideas to potential customers and so forth and calculate whether there is a profit opportunity or not. And and, and and all this sort of practical stuff. So so we teach that, but when you get to like graduate level, we start teaching theories um, on who who are entrepreneurs, who who are typically not entrepreneurs, and then what kind of psyche do entrepreneurs have? I think those are pretty uninteresting, but uh, that's part of the theory, and that's that's what we teach. Um, I mean, in my case, I I teach I teach one course on Austrian economics, so there's entrepreneurship in there. Right, and, and I teach one course on that's called entrepreneurship and society, which is really connecting entrepreneurship with the regulatory apparatus. So what is the effect of, of government on entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship? And of course, we know it's a negative effect, but it's it's a little more than that. So it, it affects in certain ways and, and how and, and how do you deal with how do you think about these things? Nice. Uh, is, is... So I got some more questions from a bunch of so many people has have questions for you, Pear. You're very very popular. Usually when I ask if people uh, have questions for my guests, they're like, uh, "Is is a you know is a taco a sandwich?" It's always something stupid. Not for you though. They know you're a smart guy. <laughs> that's what it is. But we did we did have the uh, Tom Woods and I had the is the hot dog a sandwich debate in our exclusive stream after the regular stream. It was it was a lot of fun, and he he had a very solid uh, argument in favor of it being a sandwich. So. Or in favor I'm of it, sure. not Tom, is, Tom not is a smart exactly. guy, and it's fun too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what What are your thoughts on theories like search costs? Where do they fit in in economics, broadly speaking? Search costs. Um, well, I mean, they, they fit in like any other co- kind of cost, really. Uh, so, if there's a, co- a high cost for searching, I mean, then then you would probably, to a great extent, avoid doing that sort of activity. So, any cost is. I, I think about it in the sense of entrepreneurs going for value and managers avoiding costs. Uh, and if you're going for value, then the search itself is, if it's costly and you realize that it's costly, that you can't really figure out the value because that's going to cost you a lot and it, it takes too much time or whatever, you should probably stay away from it. Um, if you're a manager, search cost is not a huge problem really because you're already in the business that already exists. Uh, the opportunity has already been discovered, as we, we call it. Uh, so, it's, yeah, you have minor search costs for, like, new employees and, and, and new uh, uh, suppliers, maybe, and things like that. But it's I, – I, I've written some some articles on transaction costs, which is sort of similar. It's a, it's a broader um, concept. And I'm – it's become one of those things in academia where they – they get thrown in everywhere and people think they explain everything. And my articles have basically just said that, no, they don't. <laughs> fair, fair. Hey, you know, if you're going to say, you might as well be, be, uh, the broad, you know, then it's hard to question. It's hard to question something that broad, right? Uh, Almighty Beach, thanks for the five dollar super chat, man. You're just killing tonight. He said your book, The Seen, the Unseen, and the Unrealized, is phenomenal. I think that 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 you put that one out. How oh, long, thank you. How long's that one been out? That one's been out a long time. Five years. Five years. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But it's, I think it's start. It's just starting to get recognized right now, uh, and I think the ideas are are really important. And it's sort of a, in a sense, is the precursor pre- precursors, excuse me, uh, of the primer, because it, it explains the whole economy in a sort of simple way and goes step by step to show how more how it gets more complex and then what regulations what the effect of regulations are on entrepreneurs and the economy and how it takes people's opportunities away. You get all those choices that you have, they're, they're wonderful, but without regulations, you would have so many more choices. Sure. Yeah. So this is a good super chat, Bubblegum Gun. He, he asks if you believe in copyrights. We, we've had so many conversations about copyright and and uh, intellectual sure. property on the show because I've had, I had Ron Coleman on who was a trademark lawyer. 
they had Stefan Kinsella on, who's obviously a big IP uh, ad, mm-hmm. against IP advocate. Where do you stand on that kind of stuff, man? Especially being an entrepreneur guy. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I definitely recognize that they exist. And to any entrepreneur starting a business right now, I would definitely tell them to seek a patent and use the system, get a copyright and everything like that. If you ask me about the effect on the economy and where I stand personally, then I'm totally opposed to them because those are privileges imposed on the economy and given by the state to some people. And it, from my entrepreneurship perspective, which is a little different than Stefan's, um, the problem here is that they mix up what we talked about before, invention versus innovation. They think that uh, patents protect the invention, but the invention doesn't really matter all that much. It, of course, we need ideas, but the, it's the innovation that matters. It's the bringing it to market and making it valuable to consumers. Well, that can be based on the same idea. So if you if you protect and give a privilege to the idea itself and whoever has the idea, then, then you're going to stifle uh, really the, the true innovation really bringing it uh, to consumers and making it valuable so it's it's a great way of, of destroying the economy in a sense sure. have you have you spent any uh have you spent any time with hans herman hoppe have i spent time with yeah. him i've met him several times but i haven't really spent much time okay with i was him, wondering because every, everybody for, that's worked at mises that i've had on the show always has some kind of funny story about hoppe so i <laughs> i just was wondering if you had one too but if you don't spend a lot of time with him i can understand how how you don't but um so who are who are some of your favorite? I mean, do you have favorite uh, economists who are not Austrians? Are there anybody? Is there anybody that uh, you know influenced you that wasn't an Austrian economist? Sure. Can I mention dead people? Sure, absolutely. It doesn't have to be I mean, living. That's totally fine. <laughs> it's hey, really some of the greatest Austrian economists are dead too. So it's you know it's how it works. Yeah, true. But I, I mean, I would go back to, I mean, proto Austrians as they're called, like Cantillon and, and others, or Cantillon, or however you pronounce his name. Uh, back in, he he wrote a, a an economics treatise like 50 years before Adam Smith, and which is pretty awesome yeah. considering when he wrote it and what he put in it. Uh, I mean the French liberal school with uh, Jean Baptiste Say and others. Um, who else? I like others. I mean I I like contemporary economists too for for stuff that they have done, but they're so narrowly specialized. I mean back in the day. And Austrians still, they wrote treatises. They were like, "Here's my really thick book on the whole economy," yeah. right? And 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 I I think that is fascinating. And and I I sort of started. I had a New Year's resolution where I was like, I was going to read all the big th- treatises from basically economics day one through the year 1900. Oof. I'm still working on it. It's but I'm, a lot. <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot, and I think it's fascinating, but it's also some of these treatises are a little dry, and they focus on things that we don't think are very important anymore. Yeah, I read Wealth of Nations. I get it. I know how it goes. <laughs> I tried right, to get and, through and it twice. He, right, and when he when he goes through like 70 pages talking about historic corn prices or something, you go, what the hell, man? <laughs> Drop it. Yeah, definitely uh... – not a lot of brevity going on in in the economist uh, corner for sure. Um, Wiggle seventy seven, thanks for the five dollars super chat. This is great. He's a, he actually lives in Oklahoma. He said, uh, "Pair, do you have any advice for how the OKLP can help spread Austrian economics in Oklahoma?" And Josh started OnlyFans. Give the people what they want. Not going to happen. Thank you though. That's the kind of entrepreneurship I shouldn't be doing until I'm broke. But do you have do you have? Uh, I mean, the, the libertarians there. A lot of them are Mises Caucus people. I, are, are you familiar with the Mises Caucus now? Um, mm-hmm. I, I was yeah. I was around when it was nothing. There was fifty of us in a group uh, on Facebook, and now it's taking over the whole Libertarian Party, which is great because that's going to have a bigger focus on Austrian economics and use that political platform to push that stuff. But how can the Libertarians do that uh, in in this country from that political platform? What do you think the best way to go about that is? I wish I knew. I mean, for me, it's setting examples. So it's basically agorism. Uh, but that's not really what a, a political party should do. Uh, I, I think talking to students and so forth, I mean, it's really short videos. Um, it's being out there, but not being out there in the sense of handing out flyers or anything like that, but but being out there in social media and, and so forth. And I mean, I, I struggle with uh, marketing my own courses to students. How, how do I reach students? I, I have no freaking clue. I, I've tried so many years to get like a lot of people enrolled in my courses, but it, it's hard. 
because they they tend to follow what others are are doing and they are advised by people and all this stuff. So it's it's really hard, but you need to show them rather than tell them. I guess that's the basic idea. And that's probably the hardest thing to do with uh, any kind it of is. any kind of economics. I mean, you yeah. know, uh, it, it's it's funny because the, the the economists that are always so successful, you know, especially nationally here, they always seem to be the hey, we'll give you stuff, uh, uh, economists, right? And then the Austrians are like, hey, we'll let you keep your own stuff. <laughs> Right. And so the Libertarian Party's kind of, you know, we know, at least as far as I'm concerned, I, I, um, you know, I'm the Murray Rothbard wing of the Libertarian Party. Murray Rothbard's who brought me to the ideas that I, I cherish today. Uh, he was a great writer. He, you know, really kept you, he kept you entertained, which was important. Um, and I think that that, that was what kind of helped me open the window. And now I've tried to understand human, human action more and, uh, Hoppe and I'm starting to read a lot more books. But it was it was it was Rothbard that really got me there, um, and he was one of the founders of the Libertarian Party, and he called the Libertarian Party the Libertarian Wing of or the the the, the political wing of the Liberty Movement. Um, but it is it, it is hard to teach economics through a political party. I think it's really really it's one of the most challenging things to do. So. Yeah, it is. But on the other hand, I mean, if you talk like we said before, if you talk to business owners, businessmen, and entrepreneurs, they sort of know it already. They they get it. But they don't, they don't have the terminology to 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 tell you. But they understand what you're saying. And I think for a political party, I think the the median voter theorem that you you need to talk to everybody and you need to attract everybody. I think more like uh, Albert J. Nock with uh, there there is a, a bunch of people out there who are looking for radical change, and they want to hear someone say it, and they might already have those ideas, but all those crooks in DC, you can't really trust any of them. So, I mean, holding back on those things, holding back on principle, that that's a great way of becoming a new uh, Republican Party or something. But I think to actually get voters and get people in, involved and interested, you need to do what Ron Paul did, pretty much. He definitely did not hold back. Yeah, he. Bold. I mean, say say it the way it is, and and and. And don't hold back. I mean, bring home the troops. We're an empire. We, we shouldn't be an empire. Bring home the troops. Right. Yeah. It's easy. Uh, Everybody can understand it. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, there's, it's, it's unfortunate the Libertarian Party has taken this uh, kind of blue-pilled. I, I, I had never heard this term, actually, until I watched a speech that, that, um, that uh, Lou Rockwell gave recent, not recently, but a while back, and he started calling them regime libertarians. It's something that I had never, I'd never heard, and made it click so quickly because I'm, I'm a part of the Libertarian Party, and I'm dealing with these, these Libertarians that are like, hey, we just want to get in the good graces of the DC elite, the Beltway elite, right? We don't, we don't really want to, we don't really want to end all the wars. We just want to roll back what we can, you know. And it's like that hasn't worked for this, for a, for a political party for 50 years. Why do you think it would work now when the, when politics is at the, its most tribalistic uh, in history, maybe in the United States ever? Um, so it really, it really, yeah, I get it. It's, it's time to be bold. And I think that, you know, the Mises caucus is showing that being bold can bring people to your causes. Um, cause you know, 61% of the population didn't vote for a president in 2016. I mean, they don't want the two old parties. They don't want any of that crap anymore. They want bold. They want unapologetic. And so, uh, I'm glad to hear you say it. Even if I don't know if, I don't know if you take part in politics and all that stuff, but you know, um, here, I stay away from such things, but <laughs> I think they're I think they're immoral. Sure. But but I, no, I mean I think people are are really desperate for change. Many of them, and talking to people, they they hold their noses when they go to vote because the other side they think is is worse. I mean, in that kind of world, don't try to be to be like the both sides. It should be pretty obvious. I mean, when people are upset, when people don't trust them, and when people must hold their noses to to vote for the lesser evil, well, then you just offer the alternative. You stand tall and grow a spine and and, and tell it like it is and, and offer the alternative. I mean, your media might not want to touch you, but there are alternative media. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that that's something that I've talked a lot about on this show is, you know, anytime uh, I'm a new podcaster, 
I started this show over a year ago as an audio show. I did three episodes, and then I life happened. I couldn't do anymore. I decided to do a live show because it's like if I do a live show and I make a schedule, I have to stick to it because I don't want to make people upset, you know. Um, uh, but people come to me and they're like, "Hey, you know, I I, I kind of want to start a podcast, but isn't the uh, isn't it like really oversaturated market? And I'm like, no, it's not, not, not for, not for alternative media. I mean, it's oversaturated for, for the mainstream. I mean, for the, the corporate news media is, is what's oversaturated. You know, we, we need more shows. I mean, do it right. Bring the right people on, have a good show, do it right. Don't, don't speak into a tin can, you know, make the, the audio good, but it's not oversaturated. We have not enough alternative media in this country. We don't, you know, maybe the world really. You know, so that's something I talk yeah, a lot that, about. That, that's the sim- simple entrepreneurship too. I mean, find your niche, find find your business model, find what you're doing uniquely and that others value. Then, well, there you go. Sure. Uh, I saw I saw something in the chat that I want to talk. Oh yeah, I want to talk a little bit about this. I don't know where where do you stand on um on on Ayn, Ayn Rand? So bad with names. Was that? Do I stand on Ayn Rand? <laughs> do, do, well, don't stand on her. I mean, that's kind of weird. But I mean, I, I was I wanted to talk a little bit about Yaron Brooks because someone posted it in the uh, in the chat, and I wanted to see he's kind of, you know, I used to follow Yaron and and I was a, a kind of a fan, but he like lately he's been like you know talking a lot of shit about anarchists and and ancaps, and I'm like, what's going on here? And that's I think that's kind of the route that that um, Rand took too, but. It just it just doesn't make any a lot of sense to kind of drive that division. I mean, where do you stand on that kind of stuff? Well, I mean, it's been part of the object objectivist movement to be anti-anarchist for I mean, ever since Rand was exposed to I guess Mary Rothbard, right? So I know Yaron, and he's a good guy. And objectivists tend to be cut from the same cloth. All of them, they all look alike, they all talk alike, they all say the same things, but they're they have a very strong case, I think, morally for for free enterprise and for for entrepreneurship and for the economy and that sort of thing. I I obviously don't agree with their view of government, and I don't agree with their view on IP and things like that. But I, th- I mean, they they hate such things as the word libertarian, and they're not part of the libertarian movement, but they agree with almost everything. So it, it's a it's a little odd. I, I consider them to be part of the the statist libertarian movement. Yeah, absolutely. It was what well, was funny because I actually I'm glad someone posted that in the chat. I have a friend at an older gentleman at work that that comes by my desk every once in a while, sits down and talks to me. He's watched the show a couple times. He you know he's like it's a pretty cool show. He comes today and he's like, hey, so uh, what do you think about Ayn Rand? You know, and I'm like, oh, she she hated my kind, man. She hated she hated us. He's like, no, nah, she sounds so libertarian. She's a libertarian, right? I'm like, nah, she hates she hated libertarians. She hated she hated anarcho capitalists. She hated Murray Rothbard. She didn't like any of that stuff. But you know, they're like moral objectivists, so you know they have some good some good thoughts. But um, for the most part, you're not going to hear me singing the praises. She wrote some great books, though. You know, that's <laughs> yeah, and and I mean, it is what they say. It usually starts with Ayn Rand. And and it and it does right. I mean, few people in the libertarian movement broadly uh, have reached as many people as Ayn Rand, and she did it in a really great way. Sure. So I got one more question here. We're getting to the end of the uh, of the public stream. We'll do this exclusive stream afterwards. We'll we'll find something juicy to talk about. But uh, a good friend of mine, David Hines, who's one of the founders of the of the Mises Caucus extremely intelligent, very bright. The guy could definitely write for Mises. I mean, he's a really, really good guy. Um, he You're wants, scaring me. Yeah, yeah. But he he wants to know, uh, can, can, how can praxeology, this is an easy question, but he wants it answered. Uh, how can praxeology, Austrian economics, empower the entrepreneur to make helpful business decisions? That's what, we'll we'll send it out there. Yeah, uh, that's something that I talk about a lot. And I think it's it's just the the understanding that you get from Austrian economics helps you avoid errors. So one thing that I stress a lot is that I sort of already mentioned it, that you focus on value. So instead of, as, as many entrepreneurs do, unfortunately, uh, they, they start with a product they want to produce and they go, okay, so I want to sell this. How much does it cost to produce this thing? And then they add a, a, a price markup to it and that's the price and then they go to market. You should do it exactly the other way around. So first try to figure out to whom would this type of thing be valuable and what shape and form and how valuable is it? So the value to the consumer should set should determine the price because the price should be low enough to basically sell the product to the consumer. And then your job as an entrepreneur is to figure out how to produce this thing and make it available in that shape and form at a cost that is lower than the price. That's your job as an entrepreneur. Figure out what is valuable and then figure out how to produce it at the cost at the cost that gives you a profit. All right so it's 
it's really about the, this basic understanding of the economy helps you think about things in the right way. That's where Austrian economics can help. Sure, absolutely. Uh, oh, we got one more super chat, and then and then we'll move on. Uh, Atlas five dollars super chat from uh, Michael Ravel. Thank you, sir. He said Atlas Shrugged was the first legit book I read as an adult. It sent me down a long road of reading. Much credit to Ayn. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I think that that's a, a very common story among libertarians and even ANCAPs. It's common and it's important, right? So, I mean, it, it influences a lot of people. It had a great impact on me, my thinking, too. Sure, absolutely. Well, Pear, I really appreciate you coming on, man. We're definitely going to have this uh, exclusive chat for the members of the, the channel and, and patrons and all that stuff. Uh, but before you go, what, what do you got coming up? Is there anything you got going on that you can uh, send people to? And uh, where, they, where can they find you and support your work and stuff? Well, the, the easiest way to find me is to go to Twitter, and my handle is Pear Byland. Uh, or they can go to my website, which is pearbyland.com. Uh, I try to I try to take those. I mean, to Americans, it's sort of a really weird, unique kind of name, but it's it's not super uncommon in Sweden. So I <laughs> I need to be early and and grab those domain names and everything like that. Um, what have I got coming up? I mean, the the biggest thing would be the primer, which should be out in December, and we're hoping to be able to sell it for just a few dollars. And of course, it's it's with the Mises Institute, so it's going to be available online. And if you want it in 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 on dead trees, then then you need to pay for it and shipping and that sort of thing. Uh, and in a couple of weeks, I'm giving a talk at the Free Market Medical Association. So there are plenty of events and stuff coming up too. Nice, nice. Well, uh, I appreciate you coming on, Pear. If you just wait a couple minutes, I'll close out the show and then uh, we'll get right into the 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 exclusive chat. Thanks again. All right, guys. Uh, Pear is absolutely based and and much smarter than me. Just so you guys know, I'm very happy that you guys gave me questions to ask. Uh, I I am going to go study way more of his work, and then maybe we'll bring him back on again uh, sometime. But man, he's he's very intelligent. Go follow him. He's a great Twitter follower. I mean, one of one of the best uh, uh, Twitter follows I have, and I have I follow like eleven thousand people or something. So uh, that's that's a good one. Definitely check him out. Um, Guys, I appreciate you checking us out. Let's check out the uh, the, the sponsors one more time, Lorenzotti.coffee, for all your delicious Italian coffee needs delivered directly to your door. Bring the taste of Italy home. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. Of course, TopLobster.com, the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, check him out. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount on great stuff like this. Disobey your local tyrant shirt I'm wearing today. Or join the YouTube channel membership, uh, Patreon, or Subscribestar, which are both uh, backslash Break the Cycle JS. If you'd like to get into the Discord server and get his stuff like two weeks early before it goes to general population at a 30% discount, it is well worth it, I promise you. He's got some great stuff right now, including a Joe Biden adrenochrome baby onesie so that you can get for your babies. Uh, of course, executive producer of the show, AnthemPlanning.com. Check them out today. See what they can do for your business, home, or personal life. They're doing a wonderful job that the government sucks at much cheaper and much more efficiently. Guys, coming up on the show tomorrow night, I'm going to have my good friend Karen Ann Harlos from the LNC, the secretary of the LNC on tomorrow. We're going to talk about how much we hate the LNC and the, half the members on it uh, and all the uh, drama that has taken place on the two terms we've served together. And then on Friday... Uh, the man himself, the president of the uh, Mises Institute, Jeff Deist, will be on the show, and that's going to be a lot of fun. He's really, really happy about the uh, the the graphic that Top Lobster drew for him, uh, making him look like uh, Bauer from 24. I'm sure he loves it. Uh, anyways, guys, I appreciate you. Get those joins in. Join the uh, the join the exclusive uh, chats with us every night. If you join the YouTube channel, you get to see them live. If you join the Patreon or the uh, Subscribe Star, you get to see them uploaded the next day with other uh, swag. Of course, if you join over there, I will see you guys tomorrow night for my show with my friend Karen Ann Harlos. But until then, don't forget to break the cycle. Okay, as soon as the outro's done, I'll start the other chat. You got anything juicy you want to talk about there? Or controversial uh, not hot dog no we won't do we already did that with Paul <laughs> But Chipper is my friend and he's constantly cold Accusations of incitement getting totally old Make your own choices, yeah, you have control Because I just landed in Minecraft Obviously I would never advocate force Unless it's due process and a trial of 
give you a course in Minecraft, just in Minecraft. There are nothing I mean, you know it. No product in this person close to COVID. Holy shit, I think I'm a poet. 